Well, uh, good morning. My name is Michael. I am the, the lead pastor here at Park Church. And Happy New Year. Uh, I, I want to begin with really just a word of, of gratitude. As, as many of you know, uh, during the months of, of November and December, we, we had a financial goal that we wanted to reach as far as giving goes, and we, we exceeded that, which is amazing, which means we're, we're starting this year in a very, very healthy place. Um, and, and so I just want to say thank you. Uh, God never underfunds his mission. Uh, and, and we believe that God has called us as an expression of his church uh, to faithfully participate in his mission right here in Monmouth County. And, and your generosity is an instrument through which God helps make that happen. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. Uh, and once again, Happy New Year. Uh, first Sunday of the new year. And, and as, as many of you know, with a new year comes New Year's resolutions. So I'm not going to make you say what, but if you have any semblance of a New Year's resolution or a goal or a hope for this year, can you raise your hand? Anyone? Some brave? So, okay, yeah, a little slow, but... Um, and, and last year, 2019, there was a survey done of over 2,000 people who had made New Year's resolutions. Uh, any guesses as to what the top five New Year's resolutions were? last year. Lose weight? Yep, lose weight. That was number three. So, did you say spend money? Right, that's, that's my resolution every day. So spend, um, save more, spend less was number four. I heard exercise. That was number two. Go to church. Go to church. That's a great one. Did not make the top five, unfortunately. Uh, find a new job. That's a, that's a great one. Um, number five was learn a new skill or hobby. And number one was diet or eat healthier. Now, now any guesses, because they did this too in the survey, any guesses as to the percentage of people who actually fulfilled said resolutions? Five, fifteen, thirty, one. We got some uh, people really believe in humanity here. Eight, eight percent of people, uh, and and yet, despite the fact that I'm sure it's a hundred percent here, um, but despite the fact that typically eight percent of the population, eight percent of us don't actually follow through every year on our resolutions, we keep making them. There's something unique about this time of year. And I'm interested in this idea of New Year's resolutions because resolutions are like a window into someone's heart. Resolutions tell us things about one another. They, they tell us what, what we value. They tell us what we're deeply discontent about. They tell us the ways that we want to change, the ways that we want to grow. And so if, if the question at the heart of New Year's resolutions is, okay, in 2020, what do you want 
for your life. I want to ask a slightly different question this morning. As you look ahead at a brand new year full of possibilities, full of potential, I want to invite us this morning to, to ask the question, not what do you want for your life this year, but what might God want for your life this year? Now, it could be that the answers overlap, uh, but it's a fundamentally different question if you think about it. What might God want for you, for your life? As you, as you look ahead to 2020, this, it's in light of this question that this morning I want us to explore one of the most famous interactions between Jesus and some of the religious leaders of his day. And, and I want us to listen carefully to Jesus because I think that, that he has something profound to say when it comes to this question we're exploring to each and every single one of us. Uh, the, the text we're going to be walking through this morning is Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 20. Uh, and I want to invite you first to pray with me. Father, uh, we, we pause now. And at the start of a new year, recognize that, that we've had all sorts of experiences over the course of 2019. Some good, some bad, some high, some low. And yet here we are at the beginning of a new year full of potential, wondering what's ahead for us. And, and what we know is that right now, this morning, you want to speak to us. Well, uh, Father, we're, we, we're not going to invite the presence of your spirit because we believe you are already present through your spirit. So we simply ask that you would make us aware. We simply ask that you would make us attentive to what you might have to say to us. Uh, we love you too. And we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. So our story begins this morning in the words of Matthew in this way. We read, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, that is Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they say, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, let's hit the pause button here for a moment and, and just notice a couple things. We, we read right off the bat that these people who are coming to Jesus, these religious leaders, they have malintent. And yet, everything they say about Jesus is true. Did you notice that? We're, we're told that they came to, to lay a, a plan to trap him, right? But then, notice what they say to him. They call him teacher, which he was a teacher. They say, we know that you are a man of integrity. That's true. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. True. 
You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Everything they said about Jesus was true. And yet their hearts were so far from him. It's possible. It's possible to, to know all of the right answers to the questions. It's possible to, to say all the right things. It's possible to sing all the beautiful songs and yet for one's heart to remain far from him. And I think the reason why, the reason why, and this is our second observation, second thing to notice, is that they came to Jesus with their own agenda, as opposed to coming to Jesus genuinely seeking his. They came to Jesus with their own agenda. They had it all figured out. As opposed to coming to Jesus humbly and with a posture of listening, genuinely seeking his agenda. And I wonder, what if, what if you began this year? What might it look like if you began this year not bringing to God all of your plans and then asking him to bless them, but rather genuinely and humbly asking God, what might your agenda be for me this year? Like, what, what might you want for me this year? Now, as soon as we ask this question, God, what, what's your agenda for me this year? What do you want for me? That immediately raises another question. And that is, okay, how? Let's say God does have a plan, an agenda for me. He wants certain things for me this year. How in the world do I figure out what that is? Like, how do I actually discern God's agenda for my life in 2020? And this is a big question, probably worth its own sermon series. But at the very least, I'll say this. God, God speaks to us in many different ways. He can and does speak to us in, in a variety of ways, and, and yet there's one primary way that he makes his voice clear. The, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was uh, one of the first cross-cultural missionaries ever, um, he, he said this about the Bible in, in one of the letters that he wrote to a young protege of his named Timothy. He said, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. Which means, think about this, this means that anytime you read or hear the Bible, you are somehow mysteriously hearing or reading the very voice of God. He is speaking. Now, that doesn't say you're always going to understand what it means, right? But if you, if you want to discern what God's agenda is for your life this year, the best way, the best way to do this, the best way to start is by taking a humble posture of listening 
to his voice in the scriptures. And so, so Matt talked about this morning, we, we have this Bible reading plan that I'm doing, Matt's doing, many people are doing, and we invite everyone to join. And if, if that's something that, that is on your list of things of, you know what, I'm, I'm actually going to get serious about reading the Bible this year. Uh, and, and by the way, you, if you do that, you don't have to be a Christian in order to read the Bible. Like maybe, maybe you're here and you have all sorts of questions about the faith. You have questions about the Bible, doubts. Uh, you're not sure what you think about this whole church thing. Like some of the best conversations I've had with people about the Bible are people who do not yet believe because they have these barriers keeping them from the faith and yet they were willing to wade in to the scriptures and engage it and talk about it. And so wherever you are on the spectrum of faith, no faith, or somewhere in between, uh, if, if reading the Bible is something that you really want to get serious about this year, I have just four very simple recommendations. And they all start with the letter P, because I'm a pastor and I'm obsessed with alliteration. Okay, so you can write this down. The first is this. If you're going to make a plan to read the Bible, be practical. Don't tell yourself, I'm going to read the whole Bible every week, right? That's just not going to work. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to stop, and it's not going to happen. So be practical. That's why in our reading plan, we really have like just one chapter a day. It's doable, right? Be practical, but also pick a time. Pick a time of day that you're going to do this. If it's just like, well, when I get around to it, which is unfortunately sometimes how I view flossing, um, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just, it's not going to happen. I just, it's fresh on my mind because I was just at the dentist last week getting a lecture. Uh, but pick a time. But thirdly, be prayerful. Be prayerful as you read the scriptures. Expect God to speak to you. Expect to hear his voice because, again, when we read the scriptures, we are hearing and reading the voice of of God. And then finally, involve people. Don't be a lone ranger. Right? Some of the times when I have grown the most in, in my faith and my understanding of God and what in the world he's up to in my life has been times when I've, I've read the scriptures, not just on my own, but with others. Or I'll read the scriptures and all sorts of questions will come up. And then I'll go to someone that I know and I'll say, okay, help me understand this. What in the world does this mean? Or... So be practical. Be practical, pick a time, be prayerful, and involve people. What might it look like for you? What might it look like instead of coming to God this year with your agenda, to just humbly come before him and say, God, what might your agenda for me be? this year. The story continues. So here these, these disciples of the Pharisees had just come to Jesus and they buttered him up, so to speak. Again, everything they said was true despite the fact that their hearts were so far from him. And here's their question. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar 
or not. This was an unbearably loaded question. And it was a clever question. They knew exactly what they were doing. You see, at this time, Israel, the nation of Israel, was occupied by the Roman Empire. They were in charge. And, and as was the custom for every occupied, conquered nation, Rome demanded a tax be paid from the people of Israel. They demanded that them, they pay them money. And in return, Rome graciously and kindly and generously said, and we're going to keep you safe. As long as you don't step out of line, then we'll massacre you. But if, assuming, assuming things are peaceful here, we're going to keep the enemies away. We're going to let you live your life the way that you would like, and, and you just have to pay us this tax. So, so kind and generous of them, wasn't it? And as a result of this, there arose a big debate among the people of Israel. Is it right to pay a tax to the pagan oppressors who are a constant reminder that God is not king in the way we know he should be? Is it right to do this or is it unfaithful? Does, does paying this tax in, in some ways sully our faith? Does it make us does it make us disloyal to the God of all creation? Does it legitimize the presence of the pagan oppressors right here? This, this was the big debate, and it's fascinating that the Pharisees and the Herodians were the ones who came to Jesus because the Pharisees were on the side that said, this really is wrong. We shouldn't do this. And the Herodians were the ones who were comfortable in the seats of power in the Jewish temple. And it was the Romans who kept them in their comfortable seat of power. So they were very motivated to side with the side of the argument that said, well, no, let's pay, let's pay the tax. Listen, things are fine. Let's just keep things at the status quo. Right? So here are these two ideological enemies joining forces because of the threat of Jesus. Because he wouldn't be co-opted by any of the ideological forces around him. He was very clear on what the kingdom of God was, and it couldn't fit into any of the categories everyone else had. So they joined forces, and they said, let's, let's trap him. So they ask him this question, right? And it puts Jesus in a bind. It puts him in this impossible situation. Because if the question is, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, yes, we should. Then he immediately alienates himself from pretty much all of the Jewish people. And he gets labeled a traitor. A traitor to the people of Israel. A traitor to God because he's compromising. He's one of those compromisers. He's not faithful. Right? So, so he can't just say, yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar. And yet, he also can't say, no, we shouldn't. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are Roman ears listening in on this conversation. Jesus' reputation had been growing and growing at this point. And, and if you're the Roman occupiers, you're always listening for anything that might sound like rebellion, sedition. And if you have this popular Jewish teacher gathering crowds, teaching them things, right? There was this pattern in the history of Israel. They often rebelled against Rome, and Rome would come in and just whoosh, 
kill the leader and be done with it. And, and most of the time the movements would die off, except for this one little movement where there began to be stories circulating once the leader was killed, that the leader had actually been raised from the dead. But that's a sermon for another day, right? And so, so Jesus couldn't just say, no, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar because he would have been immediately arrested. Because undoubtedly Romans were listening and wondering, what's, what's this guy really teaching? What's he talking about? And so do you see the dilemma? Do you see the situation that this question put Jesus in? And then Jesus responds, and his response is brilliant. Matthew tells us that Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is on this, and whose inscription? See, there, there was an actual coin called a tribute penny that would be used to pay the tax. And, and this is a picture of it right here. And anyone here fluent in Latin? Anyone? I, I'm not either. I, I dropped out after a day of it in college. Um, but I do read books about it. And so what, we've, what, what you've got around this is Flavius Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. Son of divine, in other words, son of God. It was saying that the previous emperor was a god, and this is the current emperor, Emperor Tiberius. He reigned during the lifetime of Jesus as emperor of Rome, and that's a picture of the handsome lad right there. And Jesus asks for one of these coins, and he says, who's got one? And, and, and he grabs it. And in response to their question, Jesus asks a question, which is, which is just smart. You find Jesus doing this a lot. He, he rarely actually directly answers people's questions. <laughs> I mean, whoever said that if someone asks you a question, you have to answer it. Uh, and so, so they, they give him this coin, and Jesus says, whose image is on this? Then they reply, Caesar's. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. If the Pharisee's question was clever, Jesus' response is brilliant. Don't you just love Jesus? You see, because Rome couldn't arrest him. In fact, with Roman ears, they, they probably would have heard, they probably would have interpreted Jesus' words, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, as, yeah, go ahead and pay the tax. Now, Jesus doesn't directly say that, but that could certainly be read in the subtext of his words. And so it would have satisfied the Romans. And yet, if you are just a common Jewish person, sick and tired of these Roman guards all around, longing for the day when God comes to be king of his people once again, for his kingdom to come, right? And, and, and like the Pharisees, you, you just, you don't feel right about the tax. You know things are not the way they're supposed to be. And Jesus says, yeah, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but, 
but give back to God what is God's. Oh, that, that would have gotten a standing ovation. That would have gotten a standing ovation. Just think about this. If God is the creator of all things, what belongs to him? Everything. Everything belongs to God. Right? And, and, and you can bet even the most ardent rebel there, longing for Jesus to lead the people of Israel in a violent rebellion, sword in hand, against the Romans, which was not Jesus' vision of the kingdom. His was not to kill the Romans with a sword, but rather to be killed by them on a cross. That is how God's kingdom was going to come. And even the most ardent rebel who longed for a violent rebellion would have heard something beautiful in what Jesus said. They probably would have heard Jesus referring to the land of Israel, which had been taken by Rome, and would have thought, yes, let's, let's give this back to God, the land of Israel. It's curious to ask, how would people have heard Jesus' words? But what, I, what I'd like to do is, is press Jesus' logic a little. Press it to its, its logical conclusions. Because think about this, Jesus, Jesus said, give back to God what is God's. Why did the coins belong to Caesar? They belonged to Caesar because they had his image imprinted on them. So let me ask, can you think of anywhere, anything in the Bible, let's say in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of the story, chapter 1, of Genesis, anything in particular in the midst of this beautiful symphony of creation that, that very specially bears the image of God? We do. Human beings, right? You have this beautiful symphony of creation, this crescendo of, of beauty of God speaking and things happening. And at the apex of it all, is the crown jewel of his creation, his image bearers. God creates man and woman, male and female, both of whom are made in his image and uniquely bear the imprint of who he is, which is, by the way, what it means to be human. It's to bear his image in this world. Right? So, let me ask then, what do you think God wants? What do you think God wants more than anything? Jesus says, give back to God what is God's. You see, what God wants more than anything, more than anything you could possibly do for him this year, what God wants is just you. God wants your whole self. He wants you to give yourself to him this year. When I, when I was young, probably six or seven years old, I have this vivid memory of a particular Christmas morning. And as was the custom in our family, I, I woke up on Christmas morning on our living room floor, not because I didn't have a bed, but my sisters and I, we would spend every Christmas Eve night in our sleeping bags on the living room floor. And, and our tradition was to wake up, and when we went to sleep, our stockings would be on the wall, 
And somehow when we woke up in the morning, our stockings would be at the foot of our sleeping bags full of stocking stuffers. And, uh, and we were permitted to begin rifling through said stocking stuffers before waking up our parents. And then once we had seen all of those, then we could go wake them up and we would then open the presents under the tree. It was a very clever thing for my parents because it just enabled them to sleep in longer. Uh, but I, I remember one Christmas morning going through my stocking stuffers and loving all these little tiny toys that I got and, and then at one point thinking, what? It just dawned on me, like, I didn't get anything for mom and dad for Christmas. And my little conscience was pricked and I thought, I... I've got to get them something. And so I, I, I remember going into the kitchen and just like opening the junk drawer. I mean, like, what could I? Oh, there, the first thing I saw it was a pair of scissors, right? It was a family pair of scissors. So I was going to give that to them for Christmas. So I just <laughs> grabbed that. I found a piece of paper. I grabbed some tape and I like wrapped this pair of scissors with this paper and put tape around it. And then like burst into my mom and dad's room. And like, what's going on? I'm like, Merry Christmas. I, I got you guys something. Um, and I was so excited. And, and the thing that, that I remember best about that moment was the reaction of my parents. When they opened that gift and saw those scissors, they were so excited. I, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I remember this. They were so excited about this gift that I had given them of their own old pair of scissors that I got out of the junk drawer. Now, here's the deal. Like, why, why were my parents so excited? Was it because they wanted those scissors? No. Because they wanted me. It's because they loved me. Friends, more than anything this year, God wants you. He wants your whole self. He wants everything. Whatever it is that you are holding back, whatever it is that you are clinging to, whatever it is that you think you need to carry, God is here he is saying, oh, give it to me, please. It'll crush you. Give me your whole self. Now, I've, I've never been, actually, that's not true. I have now been to Manhattan. Uh, since moving here, I've been to New York a handful of times, but I've, I've never been to Fifth Avenue. And anyone here seen that that? kind of well-known statue of the Greek Titan Atlas on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Okay, yeah, this well-known kind of landmark. Uh, it's this very impressive, there he is, uh, muscly chap, uh, very impressive image of the Greek Titan Atlas literally trying to carry the weight of the heavens on his shoulders and just struggling with all his might, right? It's just this impressive picture. Now, many people have seen that, and many people know about that, but what many people don't know is right across the street, what you can see is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And if you were to go into St. Patrick's and go, go out to the back around the corner, what you would find is uh, another statue. 
one that's much less well-known and much smaller, not at all assuming, right? It's a statue probably about this big, and it's a statue of the boy Jesus, the child Jesus. And, and he's standing there effortlessly holding the world in his hand. Just standing there, just like a tennis ball, just holding the world in his hand. You see, there, there are two ways to live, especially as we look forward to this year. You could, you could live this year trying to carry a weight on your shoulders that God does not want you to carry. You could be holding something back. And I don't know what that might be for you. I don't know what you're clinging to. Maybe, maybe it's an addiction that's crushing you and hurting relationships. And, and God wants you to give that to him. And that might mean getting help for the first time. Maybe, maybe you've been holding back, even relationally. Let's say here in, in, in this church family, and the invitation is to get involved, to take a next step, to join a community group, to, to do something, to move deeper into this community of faith. What, whatever that weight is that you're carrying, God wants it, because that, that is a way of living, and yet there is another way. A way that recognizes that Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord and Savior of the world, is holding the world in his hand. That nothing is too heavy for him. Nothing. And that those things that will crush you will not crush him. And, and those things that you are ashamed of, that you are holding on to, will never make him dirty. Right? You can never make Jesus dirty. He will only make you clean. Right? The invitation, friends, for 2020 is a simple question of what might it look like? What might it look like for you to give your whole self to God this year? This is my, my prayer for, for me uh, and my prayer for us as Park Church. This is a big year for us as Park Church. God has good and beautiful things in store. What might it look like for us to humbly listen to his voice and, and to, instead of coming to him with our agenda, asking him to bless it, saying, God, what, what do you want this year? How might I give my whole self to you? I'll end with this. Bruce Larson, in his book, Believe and Belong, put it this way. He said, we have a choice. We can carry the world on our shoulders or we can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, the whole world. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we, we are humbled by your great love. We are humbled by the fact that for some reason, Father, you want me. You want us. You want each and every single one of us in this room, in this world. And it's because of who you are. You are not content. You love us too much to let us stay the way that we are. 
And so enable us, Father, whatever that looks like in each of our lives, enable us to commit this year to giving you our whole selves. Father, we thank you that you meet us in grace. Help us to live in the light of the grace that we see when we look at your son, Jesus. We love you too, Father, and we pray in the name of your Son, and we pray by the power of your Spirit, who is here with us now, even now, stirring the affections of our hearts for you. Amen.